I think that the, the job posting must have read something like this. The administration of President Joseph R. Biden is seeking a candidate to run a task force on disinformation. Applicant must have personally engaged in misinformation efforts in the past. <laughs> Democrats with creepy singing skills preferred. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. Oh yes, oh yes, welcome to the first meeting of the Disinformation Governance Board. I'm your host, Joe Arnold, along with Scott Jennings, Jared Crawford, Kevin Grout, and Sean Southard. Are you in charge of... Of meeting out the disinformation, Scott. I am. I, I am. I'll be the disinformation czar on this podcast tonight. <laughs> talk about that in a moment. Also, talk about, of course, the big leak at the Supreme Court. What it means for the uh, the future of the, of the court, for that matter. The uh, the case which is being leaked, uh, the Ohio primary, and of course, we are broadcasting from the home of the Kentucky Derby now for 148 years, Louisville, Kentucky, and some thoughts from all of our respective derby experiences in a moment. But first, we have to get to... The biggest news. The biggest news <laughs> of the week. This is the Disinformation Governance Board. And the... Uh, what, what's her name again? Nina Jankowitz yeah. is the woman who's been appointed, I guess, as Biden's appointing to, to head this reputable group. Went looking for some prefects in the bathroom one day. Oh, my God. Instead, I found Harry. And so I said, hey. I helped him solve the mystery of the A, and I'd like to solve the mystery between his legs. No, this is true. You're violating. This is this is that actually an actual Harry Potter? Sean looks mortified. You like these books? This, this is like he's got to be like 14 in Goblet of Fire. Yeah, yeah. Like, and these people are what? Put the put the other one on. So this is literally the, the, this is her. This is Nina Jankowitz. This is Joe Biden's and she does information these ca- karaoke like show tunes parody items. I like show tunes. is really quite ferocious. It's when a huckster takes some lies and makes them sound precocious by saying them in Congress or a mainstream outlet. So disinformation's origins are slightly less atrocious. Now, in her defense, I will say, if all meetings in the government were conducted by someone singing <laughs> show tunes, it would be a far more entertaining season, and they'd be a lot shorter. And yeah. Don't forget, Sean is a dead ringer for the other, for one of the stars of Mary Poppins Returns. This is goes right in line with again with this thing. <laughs> <laughs> so what what I find interesting about this woman that they've appointed is that if you sort of look at all of her views, I mean, she has repeatedly peddled in misinformation and right. disinformation herself. But her main claim to fame is that she just she just is really really into whatever the progressive narrative of the moment is. So if the progressive narrative of the moment is Hunter Biden's laptop must have been created by the Russians, then she's all about it. And then when that gets disproven, well, it's forgotten. Time and again, you can see. So what the Biden people have done, I mean, it's, I mean, you know, it's true to their, it's true to form. They've taken somebody who is a great peddler of narratives and put them in charge at a law enforcement agency of the disinformation board or whatever. So at a congressional hearing then this past week when uh, Senator Kennedy uh, asked, you know, when the department picked Ms. Jankowitz, did it know that she had vouched for the veracity of the Steele dossier? I was not aware of that fact. <laughs> How could they not be aware? This is one of the most public... He also, he also said that he wasn't aware of the of the singing online. I mean, they didn't vet this person. This person is a friggin' hack who knows another friggin' hack, who knows another friggin' hack, and that's how she got the job. I mean, that's how this works. I'm just here to tell you. This basically is Twitter coming to the to Congress. Go ahead. And even bigger than who's on this board, it's the fact that it exists in the first place. The fact that 
the Biden administration, through the Department of Homeland Security, like you said, a law enforcement agency, is going to be cracking down on people on the internet. Oh, we look we look forward as Republicans to appointing this board. Right. I I, I think. <laughs> The secretary was asked the question: What happens if President Trump had tried this a couple years ago? What would what would this person have sung a song about? Oh boy! I think that the job posting must have read something like this: The administration of President Joseph R. Biden is seeking a candidate to run a task force on disinformation. Applicant must have personally engaged in misinformation efforts in the past. <laughs> Democrats with creepy singing skills preferred. Absolutely <laughs> nailed it. That I mean, popping up on our LinkedIn. At the top of the left, town. Endorsed creepy singing skills. <laughs> Endorsed misinformation. So, but, so will this? Thing, do you think this thing is going to survive? I mean, that to me is the greatest question here. Or has, they doubled the, down all week. He had so many opportunities to walk but they, away from But they this. double down on a lot of stupid crap, and then it just sort of goes away. Remember when he was like literally uh, at the presidential podium uh, claiming that the DHS agents were whipping people at the border, and uh, we're going to have a full investigation, and we're going to fire the. You've never heard of that again. Right. They have a they have a habit of doubling down on stupid crap, and then just pretending like it never happened and hoping no no one ever has. And and, and by the way, events often overtake it. Other things happen, we forget about it, and so that's other what stupid they, stuff. The next Biden blunder. Yeah, but at the same time, we live in a, in a world today where it's less about trying to find a reasonable conclusion than than perpetually trying to appeal to the base. And I I just think this is a situation where. It's so baked in, you know, to the cake here that, that that they're not going to give up. This the only reason why Donald Trump was ever elected because of, was because of misinformation, and you need this to be permanently there. My preference would be that this person be getting rid of and thrown out of government, but you know they need to find some low level agency where they can just move her into like some sort of cubicle and just keep her there forever and ever, and then and when a Republican president comes in, they can get rid of her and wait for the holiday Christmas party that she was built for. <laughs> <laughs> she was put on this earth, Excellent right? Point to entertain. <laughs> So, from misinformation, let's go to, uh, to to something which the Supreme Court Chief Justice confirmed yeah. on, uh, I guess that was, I'm, I've lost track of which day we're on now, on Tuesday, that the uh, the, the Politico uh, published uh, leak by someone inside the Supreme Court of the uh, February draft of uh, the Dobbs case and, and the majority opinion, apparently, that would overturn Roe v. Wade uh, was, in fact, authentic. And, and now we're... Of course, we're the, so speaking of narratives, there's two very large dueling narratives. There's the narrative of this: this the leak in and of itself is it just says terrible things about the independence of the court and and, and the, the the mob mentality of trying to overturn uh, anything we disagree with on the court. And then, of course, the other thing is 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 the actual contents of this draft itself, which proponents of Roe v. Wade say. Uh, is is in and of itself a an, an act of violence? Yeah, I think you set it up well, Joe. There are two separate things here. One, the the draft opinion is that it's draft, it's hypothetical. The other is very real. It's somebody leaked this to try to force mob rule, and all these people who have been screaming about our institutions for the last four to six years immediately went out and tried to tear down one of the last standing institutions in our country just because they were upset with how it was going. And we've seen this kind of rhetoric out of the left over the last couple of years. Chuck Schumer, uh, just, you know, not too far back, you know, stood in front of the Supreme Court and screamed that, you know, you'll reap the whirlwind if you do this. I mean, threatened. About abortion. Uh, yep. And naming justices by name. Absolutely. Right. Um, and, uh, and of course, in the wake of this draft coming out, you know, I think I read today before we came on this podcast that someone has published the home addresses of the justices and 
the hopes that people will show up. I mean, it, it, it's it's ugly. It's it's ugly mob rule, and this is an institution that's supposed to be insulated from public opinion. This is a legal venue, not a venue for public opinion or for mobs. But the Democrats have lost their friggin' minds because they've revealed themselves as a one-issue party. They don't really care about anything else except abortion. Abortion is number one. Everything else is number two through whatever. And and you threaten the abortion industry, and they go crazy. And I mean, I, I, the night this all happened, Ed Markey, U.S. Senator, uh, I, I mean, he. He's my favorite algorithmic justice. Yeah, he, he said. He said. Here's a quote. Speaking of disinformation, a stolen, illegitimate, and far right Supreme Court appears set to destroy the right to abortion. There's no other recourse. We must expand the court. Stolen and illegitimate. So he is saying that Donald Trump was not legitimately elected in 2016. Which, by the way, I'm told now that if you if you deny election results, that basically makes you an insurrectionist. And that the court is so illegitimate that it now must be expanded, so we have to blow up the institution. The left went crazy about misinformation and respecting election results and upholding institutions. And the minute, the minute a draft comes out on abortion, they lose their minds. It's a one-issue party. It's not just Trump, though, that they're upset about. It's also your former boss, Scott. George W. Bush. Yeah. He was an illegitimate president in their eyes. They said that for eight years. Yeah. They said it for eight years. And they pioneered trying to use the Electoral Count Act to stop the counting of, of votes on the floor, which they have conveniently forgotten or it's now glossed over. But they invented this. They they invented this idea of illegitimacy. And now we're on a slippery slope where everyone's going to believe everything they don't like is illegitimate. But to do it to the court in this consequential moment, I have advice for Democrats. Win a friggin' election. Win an election. Win elections. Now, they're going to argue that they have won some, but that's the thing. Donald Trump won. He got the vacancies. They were legitimately appointed by a legitimate president, and they were honestly and legitimately confirmed. You don't like it. Win an election. Well, and in fact, I think what they're saying is, and by their actions here, is that you since you... We can't win the elections, and we can't win the consequential votes in the individual states on these particular issues, such as abortion. As a result, we need the court to come in there and give the people guardrails. You know, in other words, we don't want the people of these individual states, once this is overturned, to be able to make these kind of decisions, which is, is somewhat ironic. Their, you know, ar- their arguments are at odds with each other. Right. On the one hand, they, they want to be they want to be insulated from our political. Uh, system, but on the other hand, they claim that abortion is so overwhelmingly popular. How right. could the Supreme Court possibly ban it when it's so popular? Well, if it's so popular, if it's so popular, you should have no trouble running every election from here on out on one issue. Go for it. If you think nine months of abortion is so popular, you should have no trouble. Just go for it. I, did I see, welcome it. I did see, I think it was on CBS, a political analyst, and, and this kind of thing was going back and forth and a lot of very heated rhetoric, and she did kind of step into the middle of all this. They will hold on. If this was actually put to a vote in Congress, an abortion ban, an abortion you know, uh, protection forever is not going to pass. In other words, this this is a situation where it's not politically reasonable. It, it wouldn't even get a majority in the Senate, I think. I right. think last time it got 48 votes. And they're already talking about, well, this is the reason we need to eliminate the filibuster. I don't think they'd even no. get a vote on that. When, they, when, when President Obama had huge majorities in the Democrat Senate and in the House of Representatives, why didn't they enshrine Roe versus Wade in law then? Last year, the U.S. House did have a vote on abortion, 
Uh, it was like last September, and it passed 218 to 211, party line vote. I think there was one Democrat that defected. But, but the vote was very clear. It was to codify abortion for all nine months. And that's the thing. All this polling we're hearing about, oh, abortion, people want this, people don't want Here's the deal. What the Democrats' position is, they don't ever poll the Democrats' actual position. Their position is not safe, legal, and rare, which was the Clinton position. Their position is legal and all the time until the end of the pregnancy at the end of the ninth month. That is their position. That is their party's position. And if you poll that, no one is for that except a narrow, narrow sliver of the extreme fringe of their party. But they want to hide that and paint the Republicans as extremists. But I'm telling you, if put to a vote, all nine months of abortion is such a minority viewpoint. It's sickening. There was even a recent Wall Street Journal poll that looked at this and said that a majority of American voters approve of a 15-week yeah. ban. So the case before the court is the Dobbs case involves a 15-week ban. That's the that's the law in Mississippi. And so a majority of American voters agree with that. And this decision, if it is the way that it is purportedly to have been written, throws it back to the state so that, you know, if New York wants to have whatever they want, they can. And they will. And that's the yeah, thing. Absolutely, they the, will. The Democrats try to play this game where the end of Roe is the end of abortion. And now, all, and they also say, oh, it's the end of interracial marriage. It's the end of contraception. It's the end of, you know, fill in your, your Whereas the president said today, this means that LGBTQ kids in schools are going to have something happen to them and if, if, if this <laughs> Roe v. Wade is overturned. It's like, uh, sir... Sir, well, please grab your handler. It, but but it's, not, it's not the end of anything. It is the beginning of a political process. This is not the end of anything. This goes now to its, its... This is not in the Constitution. The 14th Amendment is a fig leaf. It was never... This was invented. It was completely made up. So now this goes back to the proper venue. Our political process. Elected representatives of the people will debate what's proper. Maybe it'll be 15 weeks. Maybe it'll have exceptions. But the political process will sort it out, not people making crap up that's not in the Constitution. And you raise an interesting question, uh, question there, Scott, because, you know, that's not written expressly in the Constitution. You know what things are written expressly in the Constitution? I don't know. Freedom of speech. Yeah. Gun rights. Gun rights. Right. Things that Democrats spend a whole lot of time trying to get rid of. Oh, yeah. I mean, but this is the difference between liberals and conservatives. The Constitution means whatever we want it to mean in the moment. And conservatives believe what it means is what it means as written by the founding fathers of this country. Well, that is the difference. In general, I mean, federalism is is something which is rejected uh, on, on that on that same ground on those same grounds. They they fear they fear this going into the political process because it means uncovering exactly how right. extreme. I mean, look at, in the moments where it has been uncovered. Look what happened in Virginia. You know, and you put the governor of Virginia on the radio one day trying to talk about. The legislation they were trying to pass in the Virginia legislature, the uproar that came over the idea that you're going to be delivering babies and then deciding whether they should be aborted or not. I mean, it was outrageous. And when people got a look at that, they thought, really? oh my gosh, yeah. they are extremists. They are extremists. Now, there will be states that go all the way, and it's regrettable. But there will also be states that do reasonable things. Reasonable things. I fully expect that. But that's the beauty of federalism. Let me ask a question about the court itself. Again, back to the whole concept of the fact that it's an independent judiciary, the lifetime appointments, for instance, and what that means versus what perhaps uh, some Democrats or liberals wanted to switch to. I do want to point out a morning consult poll for Politico on this issue, uh, overnight poll after the, uh, the the leak of the Alito draft. 
Uh, Americans want term limits for Supreme Court justices by a 66 to 21 percent margin. They favor expanding the court by 55 to 36. So? I mean, I I really don't care. This is, first of all, these polls done are done... This is the media is really good at this. Mm-hmm. They whip up several hours of news narrative, not coverage, but narrative. Then they immediately poll and say, "Look at this." It, it, go back to the uh, when the Republicans were passing the tax cuts under Trump. We we uh, we endured weeks and weeks and weeks of absolute insanity in news coverage. Democrat talking points turned into news night after night after night, and then they run a poll. Whoa! It doesn't look like people want this. To, you know, they don't. They don't think it's great that we're only cutting taxes for the one percent. Well, that's not what the bill did. That's not what happened. In the case of Roe versus Wade, people have been brainwashed into believing by the narrative, which is we're going to eliminate all abortion access everywhere. And oh, by the way, all these other things are going to happen too. That's not what it does. That's not what this does. This sends it back to the court, to the to the to the state capitals. That's it. That's all it does. But you tell people one thing, and then you poll it, and then use that as evidence of why it's bad. It's ridic- It's a ridiculous and predictable cycle that happens every time. And not only that, it's the idea that you know, the the, the term limits idea is is something that you know it would go against the Constitution, and so it would require a constitutional amendment to pass that. So that means, what is it, Kevin? You're a constitutional expert. How many states would have to pass? A constitutional amendment in order for it to be accepted in the Constitution. Two thirds. I think it's two thirds. Yeah, two thirds. Two thirds. And so, and so, w- then we would have to go around the whole entire country, and these people would have to win another argument amongst the people. You think there's two thirds of the states in this union who are going to pass a constitutional amendment saying well, we're going to get rid? Of it? It's total. And again, I'm glad there's a poll. This strikes the. By the way, by the way, did they 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 were so hot on term limits during the Ginsburg. Era. I mean, that, I mean, that, <laughs> right? Or, sure. or, or on, or on. You know, you have to retire, mandatory retire. They weren't so hot on it. Now, I mean, that, that's the thing here. Like, it, it's all situational for them. Right. It's all situational. I mean, you have Democrats out today saying, "Well, now this is obvious. We have to eliminate the filibuster," because in this moment, it's situational, useful for them. But they don't think about the consequences of their action. You know what? I'm warming up. We're only eight months away from the probability that Republicans will control. It. You know what? I'm warming up. Go ahead. This is how they got in this mess in the first place. Right. When Harry Reid eliminated the filibuster rules on judicial appointment, he started this. And now they are, to quote Chuck Schumer, reaping the whirlwind. That's where we they, thank you. Thank you, Harry Reid. On that, as an aside, I saw a whole other you know, layers of different Twitter threads this past week about um, Mitch McConnell, Senate, the, the Republican leader of the Senate, uh, and people saying, again, you better believe that if they get the majority, he'll get rid of the filibuster in a heartbeat. I'm like, he had every opportunity. He had it, and he had Donald Trump riding his ass, and he still didn't do it. It's just, it is just, I don't know if it's ignorance or if it, what is it? People people are stupid. People are just freaking stupid. (laughs) Or they they literally have been hit in the head and have amnesia. I'm starting to think it's it's less stupid. It's it's real malice. They're okay to lie about it. There's no shame, and there's no, like, there's there's no self-awareness, no shame. It, 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 I would actually like to meet one of these people and just say, have them say that and be like, are you aware of this? And they'll be like, that, oh, that's not I, true. I, that was then. I, this is now. It'll be different in the I, future. Well, be, it goes back to disinformation again because, yes. it does, because it's my truth. It doesn't really matter what the truth is. If my truth, and it seems about right, and I hate to say this as a former member of the media, there's a lot of things that are out there in, in journalism. Because it sounds about right, it's allowed to go forward as as a report because it's consistent with what 
what I'm hearing from all of my colleagues versus anything which is somehow uh, verified. But, but it does speak to the bubble nature of how these conversations occur. You've got a bunch of people in newsrooms having conversations with other like-minded people in the affiliated industries, and they all talk to me. Oh, this is yeah, you're right. No, you're right. No, no, you're more right. No, no, you're you're nicer. No, you're nicer. It, and and then they end up these. That's how these things go forward. And they talk to the, each other, but they never stop to ask. Well, is this the reality? Of what we're dealing with, but the thing—it serves a purpose in the moment. It's that's all. It all serves a purpose in the moment. It all serves a purpose. Even though I, I do believe that the, the 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 big story of this past week is in fact the the fact this was leaked because again, there's nothing definitive about this. I right. mean, we we can read tea leaves. We can. It's been around since February, apparently. This draft and you know what's the motivation for releasing it? Is it is it's is it basically it's it's intimidation and pressure? But is it something? In, is there a feeling from by somebody inside the court that there's still a chance to try to maybe weaken some of the resolve there? If they of see, course. they're trying. They're trying to intimidate Brett Kavanaugh. They're trying to intimidate Neil Gorsuch. Those are the two, and Kavanaugh, I think specifically, that's who they're trying to intimidate. That's my. I mean, look, I don't know anything. This is all conjecture, but it's quite obvious to me when you look at how the Democrats have played this in the wake of the leak. They don't want to talk about the leak. They only want to talk about. The intimidation of the court and trying to threaten the court with these mobs. It's pretty obvious to me what, what, what the campaign was intended to do. I, I, again, don't know anything, really, uh, about many topics, but including this <laughs> But he'd like to speak on them. Uh, it, but, you know, I was talking to someone today, and they floated the theory that maybe it is a conservative who's leaked this. Trying to get solidified. In order to, to say that, you know, we know there's a majority for this in this current draft, and if you change your mind, we're going to whip you as that you cave to the liberal woke mob. Now that's a theory that I hadn't heard, yeah, and and I and, so. and I don't believe that any like conservative who really respects in- institutions would go against the court in this way. But I do think that you know it's something that it was a theory I had heard, and and, and I just thought I'd toss that out there. It, it doesn't matter what the persuasion of this person was. Like the the unprecedented nature of leaking an entire draft opinion so far in advance. You know, we've heard from other former Supreme Court clerks talk about this. Just the level of security. You weren't allowed to leave the building with a scrap of paper about the with um, of a draft opinion. Just somebody knew what they were doing. They wanted to shake the entire building, shake the whole country. And I, I don't know. It's it's really hard to fathom. You know, as I, we've all kind of worked in public service a little bit, fathom that you wanted to be at the center of that. I don't care who did it. I think they ought to be found and and punished to the biggest extent. Possible. Oh, I agree. And I don't yeah, know. Absolutely. I saw somebody floating the theory that this could be considered obstruction of justice because you literally, you know, mm. were trying to obstruct justices. And so I saw that floated. Number one. At a minimum, number two, shouldn't this person be disbarred? Well, I mean, sure. I mean, right. the, 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 the ethics minimum. of the legal profession right. would 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 indicate to me, according to their professional code, that this person is not trustworthy enough to be a lawyer. So I, I hope, and, and if it is a conservative, or it doesn't matter to right. me, because the sanctity right. of the this court, this institution has to be insulated from this crap, and that's all it is. It's crap, and they're trying to drag the Supreme Court into the same muck that everything else is, and it's wrong. Well, I, I think that this this moment has likely forever changed the culture of the Supreme Court amongst the justices and amongst their staff. I think that this is this is, will forever be a moment where it, it will breed distrust amongst people within that institution, and 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 this institution largely has prided itself. You know, you hear the stories of. Uh, Scalia and Kagan and yeah. the, the the collegiality between people and and the, and the trust 
and I, I, I fear that this will be a huge blow to that sense of collegiality and uh, and and discourse that that the court has had historically. I've, I've seen a lot of media and people and Democrats on TV sort of crowing about the fact that Republicans don't seem to be celebrating the contents of the draft that they don't see they as evidence that you know republicans know how you know how bad politically this is and they don't want to touch it you know i actually don't think that's true what i think is true is i mean i look i'm a pro-lifer it's one of the main reasons i'm in politics and got into it years ago i still don't quite believe it you know i mean we've been fighting for this for a half a century i've been fighting for it for over 20 years i still don't quite believe it and i'm a chicken farmer i don't count my birds before they hatch and so i i think okay okay (laughs) What do you don't interrupt me? Chicken. I'm making a point. I am a chicken farm. How many how many chickens do you have? I, I, I didn't claim to be one. How many eggs do you farm every day? I, I don't farm any eggs. Okay, good. Well, I do. I pull them out of the box every single day. So, of the two of us, which one? I knows feel like Joe Arnold so, like on the last podcast. So, so you are my not point is my, counting your chickens. No, that's but I think conservatives are are rightly cautious, cautiously optimistic, but cautious being the operative word because. Right. You don't know what's going to happen here. And to get excited about something and then to have it pulled out from under you after fighting so hard for so long would be devastating to a great many people. And by the way, I'm not sure this is the political panacea that Democrats think it is. Because, you know, if you want to turn yourself into a one-issue party and have a one-issue campaign on something that is so far down the list for most people at a time when we're paying $4 for gas and the border's being overrun and schools are in crisis and crime is out. Go ahead. If you want to, if you want to be a one-issue party, when we're paying four dollars for gas, be be my guest. Be my guest. I, this is not the panacea they think it is. It does take it off the, the, those other issues off the headlines for a few days, but it doesn't eliminate the reality of what people are going through in their daily lives. Exactly. When you when when you turn off the TV and go out to go about your daily life, and you right. got to go fill up your yeah. gas tank, you're immediately reminded. By the way, diesel, and I know most people don't use diesel in their day to day life, but it affects all of us in terms of you know shipping costs. It is outrageous. It's, it is, it's I, so I, think, crazy. I think I saw today five seventeen a gallon. All-time high. Yeah, All-time in history. Just incredible. One other thing, though, that all sides, I think, will agree on, whether they think it's a good thing or a bad thing, is how this came to be, if, in fact, the Alito majority opinion is, in fact, the defining line of, of this case. And that is, this is the culmination, Scott, as you pointed out, of a, a very long campaign for 50 years in some respects, but more, more recently in 2016. And, and that is, in fact, the decision by the Republican leader at the time, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, to hold that Supreme Court seat open, ultimately filled by Neil Gorsuch. And the fact that for a lot of Republicans held their noses mm. in, in what I think was the defining issue of that campaign. Because Donald Trump turned off a lot of institutional, traditional Republicans, but the idea that the Supreme Court was in play. And this could be, in fact, the the pivotal moment here. This actually is the culmination of all of that. Yeah. Because it all just kind of followed from there. Yeah, it, it has come full circle uh, from that decision to now. And for me personally, um, when I got appointed uh, special assistant to President Bush back in 2005, the literal first thing I was tasked with was serving on Alito's confirmation squad. I sat in the boiler room with a bunch of other people as we were trying to, to, to generate activity in the states that were represented by gettable Democratic votes uh, to get him confirmed. He got 58 votes. And so uh, 
I was proud to be on that then. And at the time, you don't know how consequential things are when you're doing them. But to see him writing so eloquently and articulating so eloquently what we as conservatives believe about this abomination of a decision, Roe versus Wade, is just it, it's very meaningful. And it's also meaningful to see Mitch McConnell's consequential decisions end up being so important, you know, as, as in shaping U.S. history. I mean, he has said, this is the most consequential thing I've ever done. That was true even before today, and it's even more true now when you when you consider uh, where we are on the court. I will say, going back to our December end-of-the-year podcast when I <laughs> predicted this. You did. But, but, but my second point with that was, and I think the question we had, the conversation we had at that time, more in theory, was... My question is, is how big of a factor will that be in the midterms? Mm. Because I, at the time, I assumed it would come out in late June, you know, somewhere around right. there when they tra- traditionally, when they, rather than being leaked ahead of time. So that's You didn't said, predict this leak? I did not predict uh, the I, leak. I think that the, no, the no. whole prediction should be thrown it, out. Like, my point being is it's still a re- relevant question, and you raised it off the very top, though. But let me just circle back around that before we wrap this up, and that is to what extent will this be a – prime motivating factor for voters in the midterm elections. It seems like to me the right has carried this issue a lot a lot closer to the the vest um, in a lot of elections. So I, I think if if it comes down like the Alito draft, I think it'll really energize that side of the aisle. Um, I mean we, we we've seen the left light their hair on fire over the past couple of days. So it could energize people, but I think I think Scott made a great point that if this is all they're gonna run on, I don't know how much of a bounce it's gonna give them. I, I think it might energize some section of both sides, but the the fall elections are going to be dominated by inflation, crime, and a lot of these other issues. I think that this is kind of one issue that will be part of it, but I, I think that it, it will not have a net effect on what the outcome of the fall election will be. I think that there is, I mean, if you just listen to the conversation around this, there's this assumption by people in the media and on the left that people on the left, voters on the left, <clears throat> are the only ones who are motivated by abortion. That's just not true. I mean, I know a lot of Republicans who this is their key motivating issue, and they're going to be super excited about this. And I and and so it's it's a little bit of a, you know, well, some people might be motivated to vote. Well, what's that mean? Well, the only the recent empirical evidence we have is that this doesn't work for Democrats. The Virginia governor's race in the fall of last year, the Democrats ran a two issue campaign that Glenn Youngkin is Donald Trump, and that Glenn Youngkin is extreme on abortion. That was they ran a two issue campaign. And in a state, Joe Biden won by 10 points. Glenn Youngkin won by two points. And in the aftermath, in the polling done, uh, the exit polling, people who cared about abortion, actually, Glenn Youngkin won those people, even though it was the entire Democratic campaign. So I am I am not sure that this is the panacea Democrats want it to be. And I also think that if Republicans are skillful here, they will, if they get engaged in a debate on abortion, it is a winnable debate because the Democrats cannot say anything other than what they are, which is we want abortion all nine months. And even there are people who think we ought to have 
abortion access who don't want abortion all nine months. So even some of their own people will be repulsed by what the true democratic position is. I think that Democrats are mistaken to want this to be the issue that they talk to, to kind of put a bow on what you're But they're in a saying. box, right? Yeah, because right, because yeah. everything else that they have to work with here is crap. I mean, Biden's <laughs> right, in the toilet, right. inflation, and so, and so they, that's what they've got. That was going to be my second point. Is I think they and, and particularly the news media is so desperate to change the conversation from anything other than inflation and crime and how people are being hurt at the pump and, and at other places that, that they're just throwing anything that they can possibly distract from those other things i I would say that for maybe a devil's advocate's view here i don't know if i even agree with it but it's a lot easier to be against something than for something if there's a common enemy and if if they're able to somehow singularly focus on this and, and 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 be able to find a way for this is the one thing to galvanize because obviously the democrats have been very fractious here you know they've the progressives uh, versus joe manchin and that wing and everything else and this is one way they can say okay let's put all these divisions of the past year aside you know the the entire build back better fracas and all that we can we can forget about that because this is a huge issue that we need to come together on. yeah but, but you- those divisions will still exist right uh, I mean, as these guys have both said, like they're not a monolith on it, on the idea of abortion access. If you were like Tim Ryan in Ohio running for the Senate now against J.D. Vance, which I know we're going to talk about in a minute, um, I mean, and I think he got, Jared was telling me, I think he got questioned today mm-hmm. about, you know, what do you actually believe about abortion? Do you think we ought to have abortion access for all nine months? And he was, you know, basically unwilling to even lay down some reasonable... You have the audio on that? Let's hear what he said, because this is a test case for what you're bringing up. What could a Democrat say in a, in a you know, moderate to purple state, if, if you consider Ohio, I think it's a red state now, but what would a Democrat say? As Senator, would you have any limits on abortion? Look, I think what we had established in Roe is something that that we can continue to work with. And I think those can be the parameters. But then again, if you get rid of what was established law, which in many ways was conservative to keep that, to appreciate stare decisis and make sure we appreciate uh, the law, um, if we move away from that, you're going to get states like Ohio that have some of the most extreme uh, laws in the whole country, where if you're a young uh, girl and you've yeah. been raped or there's been incest, that you can't, you, you have to, the state, the government is going to force you to bring that baby to yeah, term. I, I, I get all that, Congressman, but my question, value. my question was about any limits to abortion at any point, you know, late term, anything. Look, you, you, you got to leave it up to the to the woman because you so and I. No, sit so no, that's just of, it. No. So no. so first of all, it was Brett Bayer of Fox News who's doing a terrific job, job on this. But you have Tim Ryan, the supposed most moderate Democrat Senate candidate in the country, who cannot articulate a single restriction on abortion that he can think of. The fact that he can't say, well, maybe fifteen weeks. Maybe the fact that he can't say it tells you all you need to know about where their party is. And also about who funds their party, because he knows that if he comes out for a single abortion restriction, fundraising gets cut off immediately. And, you know, to your point, Joe, you know, the Senate Democrats held a press conference either yesterday or today uh, on this issue outside the Capitol uh, on the steps. And every Democrat was there except one, Joe Manchin. Moving on to Ohio and the primary. (laughs) 
my drop from Sean. Well, I mean, it's, we kind of moved on from it, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I like it that you guys are trying to move on to the next element, but you just want to rehash the end of the other element. Okay. <laughs> tell, tell, tell me about tell me about the uh, the aftermath here of the primaries, and and it, it's I guess the, the big headline is that uh, Donald Trump appears to be. The uh, the force of the GOP moving on. Yeah, the Ohio Senate primary turned out, you know, after Vance got the endorsement of Trump. I mean, you look at the dynamics of that primary. Numerous candidates, several well-funded, um, and, and several of them running essentially on the same platform. I think Republican voters were having a hard time sorting it out. As obvious, it was a morass in the polls for a long time. And then Trump came in and basically gave enough clarification that allowed J.D. Vance to win. By the way, I think J.D. ran a pretty good campaign. He turned into a pretty good campaigner. He's a Kentuckian. Um, And then when he got the Trump endorsement, that was the late momentum that he needed. And so in that particular case, Trump made what, uh, and I thought it was a risky bet when he came in because Vance had been kind of struggling in the polls. And he, without Trump, I don't think Vance even gets to second place. And so I think it's absolutely true that Trump pulled him over the line. But I, <clears throat> one of the things that is a lesson for me here is Trump's endorsement, when paired with a good candidate or when paired with a good campaigner or a good campaign, is really useful. Trump's endorsement, when paired with somebody who's, you know, not great, is, is maybe useless. And that's what's happening in Alabama, right. where Mo Brooks is struggling in that Senate primary. It's what's happening in North Carolina, where Pat McCrory, who's an atrocious campaigner, a ridiculous person, he's getting trounced by Ted Budd. And Ted Budd is, uh, is winning because they're running a good campaign. So you see a similar dynamic there. Um, you know, there's just, you look around and you see where Trump's endorsement, when paired with good candidates, works. Trump's endorsement, when paired with bad candidates, like, Mo Brooks uh, is not working. And so that that was a lesson for me. And I think as I look at the primaries coming up, uh, you're going to see more and more of that emerge. Trump's endorsement when paired with David Perdue in Georgia, who's a crap candidate, it's not working. And so Trump's going to suffer some losses. But I think you can sort of chalk it all up to, did you put your endorsement with good campaigns? And I think that could be a lesson he'll learn out of it. I mean, is it still too early even to tell what his actual effect is by because it's just from one night maybe we have to wait a couple more primaries and see well i think i think you know in a crowded republican primary where everybody's got the same message obviously he's determinative mm-hmm. uh but again i think the campaign has to be prepared to take advantage of it in terms of the quality of the candidate or the campaign candidates matter i and, mean they do matter and to go to scott's point to take this down to georgia i mean you have kemp and purdue running against each other and uh purdue is not even knocking on doors yeah. for his campaign. And so, you know, that's probably a bad endorsement if your candidate is not running a, a, a real good field team. Yeah, I mean, Purdue, I mean, they're, it's large. It's it, They're just running a bad race. And he's not, he, he, he's sort of a half-hearted candidate. And Vance was all in mm-hmm. and a vigorous candidate. And I think everybody I talked to in Ohio tells he got better and better over time. And uh, Bud is the same way in North Carolina. I know the people running the Bud campaign over there. And they've been running a very solid race. Bud's a very solid conservative Republican, and they've just been, you know, they've been putting in the work. I mean, they're not just, well, we got the endorsement, so we'll just sit here and do nothing. That doesn't work. I mean, you still have to show people that you want it. That's what Vance did. That's what Bud's doing. But I don't think that's really what Mo Brooks. I mean, everybody believes Mo Brooks. There's not enough lipstick to put on that pig. So what you're saying is, still is a it's, pig. it's the Trump endorsement is definitely a positive. But it's not the only thing. It's not enough to carry you over the finish line. It's a positive, but it's enhanced by the quality of your campaign and your candidacy. And so I think it, you know, in a vacuum where you're doing nothing else, it's sort of helpful. 
but where you're actually trying and you're putting in the work, it can be, you know, it's it's a real value add, especially in a crowded field. Because, look, right. if you get into a crowded Republican primary virtually anywhere in the country, everybody's saying the same thing. America first. You know, I supported Donald Trump. I liked his policy. Whatever you're saying, they're, they're all running a variant of the same message. And so he comes in and puts his stamp on someone. It makes you feel like the most authentic carrier of that message. So is Pennsylvania the next option to see how that turns out? Pennsylvania and Georgia? Yeah, we'll see how it turns out there. I was talking to somebody in Pennsylvania just before we recorded today to get their feel. And they, the, the person I talked to is a very plugged-in observer and thought McCormick ultimately would win. Now, Oz has the endorsement there, but my friend thinks McCormick is running the better campaign and is a better campaigner in this particular case. And that they, they thought Trump – by the way, they're not anti-Trump. They just, they just think sure. in this case – his endorsement landed on the wrong campaign from a quality perspective. Do we know what Trump's uh, relative effect is post-primary if a non-Trump endorsed candidate wins? So, um, uh, in other words, if, oh, I see. So, so, so somebody who wins. So, the, in other words, if yeah. Oz loses, who's yeah. a Trump endorsed? Yeah. What does what does Trump do after that? Do we know? I mean, I would think that he is going to want to be. My, I mean, this is my view, except with the exception of Kemp, who he singularly, right. and maybe Lisa Murkowski in Alaska, right. he singularly hates those people. But I would think in virtually every other case, he would want to be personally in a position to get credit for any wins that occur. And so my presumption is he's going to want to, you know, look like the team captain. By the way, on this on this topic of party unity, which is what you're asking about, yeah, one thing I was really, really pleased with and surprised by, frankly, about how quickly it happened. After J.D. Vance won in Ohio, you saw every other campaign immediately fold in, endorse J.D. Vance, and that included Matt Dolan, who kind of ran the the anti-Trump campaign, and did quite well, uh, but didn't win. But even Dolan said, it's, it's more important for the Republicans to win, and so I'm folding in. I was super impressed by that. And I think it's a good lesson for Republicans around the country. Unite. Unite. The only thing that will sink the Republican chances in November is to be divided. And that's what the Democrats are hoping for. But the Ohio Republicans showed the way on this. And that was, my, I guess, my, my last question, because we talk about this periodically. So trying to check in on the midterms. Nothing that has happened in the last since the last time we talked about this has changed your view of the overall trajectory of the midterms? I mean, I'm interested to see how the abortion debate develops. But, no, I think, I, think, I mean, the CNN poll that came out just before we came on the air is pretty clear. Joe Biden's in the toilet. People don't like what he's done on inflation and the economy. That has not changed. It's the top issue in the country. The border continues to be in chaos. Crime is still a problem. People are on fire about schools. None of that has changed. It's all working in the favor of the Republicans. I don't care what Joe Biden throws against the wall. If he's got a 40% approval rating on Election Day and gas is $4, Katie, bar the door. No Kevin's Quiz tonight on, the, on this podcast, on this May the 4th. We're recording this at 9.46 on May 4th, 2022, as we're about to wrap up. But we are, May the 4th is, of course, just a few days before the first Saturday in May. May the 4th be with you, Joe. Oh, yeah, that's right. you. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, all, all you Chewbacca's out there. <laughs> <laughs> all you what, what specifically do you want to say to the Chewbaccas of the world? No there idea. actually is a Senate candidate who is named Chewbacca. That's the woman running against uh, Lisa Murkowski in Alaska. Her last yeah. name is literally – it's not spelled correctly, so but Joe literally is, Chewbacca. So Joe is talking to one person. <laughs> yes, that's actually, what, I was, what I was thinking of. The reason I say this is look up your colleague Jake Tapper from CNN on Twitter. 
this afternoon. He tweeted a picture of himself as, I guess that's Han Solo, and Very Wolf good. Blitzer as Chewbacca. <laughs> and you'll Very look at good. it there. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm proud of that. you. <laughs> Aren't you, though? I've been studying up. That's amazing. <laughs> Isn't it, though? I sort of now want to go through and assign Star Wars characters to other CNN <laughs> personalities. And, like, Very good. I don't know what I, where I would wind up. Probably as a sort of a random stormtrooper. So I'm going to get you in trouble right now. Okay, of all of the CNN talent, which uh, which one of those is Princess Leia? I'm not answering that. Which one? <laughs> which one is Darth Vader? This is That's not a big enough, This podcast is not a big enough part of my revenue stream to go down this rabbit hole. I got <laughs> to your. I mean, we're moving to, to Derby here in a minute. But to your credit, I actually I complimented Scott this several different times this past week. And I have to learn this because, and, and, and you'll all agree with this, Scott does not answer things that he does not know the answer to. And they try to routinely ask you questions on CNN and put you out there over your skis, and you say, and you're willing to say, I don't know. Yes. And this, in this situation, you're just deflecting and pivoting away from answering who you clearly know is Princess Leia at CNN. This is the but Mitch you know, McConnell school of answering questions. <laughs> you do not answer the questions that are not in your best interest to answer. <laughs> All right. So the big challenge then, let's talk about Derby. And in some ways, seen Red Herd, but seen Red Herd of your entire Derby existence here. Yeah. Looking back over the years here, and, and so Jared uh, Crawford, which we haven't heard from tonight. Whoa, 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 whoa. Before we start this, do we have any... Uh, like call to the post or horse clomping or neighing or anything like that. Horse clomping? Yeah, clomping around. Clop, clopping. And chomping. And... You, you gave him zero time to prepare for this. <laughs> well, no, he, he had a whole week to prepare for it. It's the first thing. It's just in the last couple of seconds here that he's going to get it together. But Jared had originally suggested tonight we talk about, you know, uh, think about one racehorse over the years, one with your favorite refreshment at, at the Derby or a tradition or your memory. So I'm going to ask you guys about some of those things. And as Kevin is, or I'm sorry, as Jared is, is furtively looking for. Whatever. I just want something. I just feel like I just feel like this. Oh, Over I hear people. We are live. At oh, the I see it. Derby 148. Yes, I got. I got to tell. When that little dude in the red coat comes <laughs> out, it makes me so happy. His yeah. name is Steve Bubbleman. I've known Steve for about 25 years. He used to play trumpet at the church where I used to sing. And so I sang with him over a number of years. And is that this the only thing. song he knows, by the way? He, he knows quite a few songs. <laughs> he is a great guy. I used to go over and visit with him every year, uh, even you know, not just on Derby Day, but in the little uh, gazebo cupola over there on, on the other side of the track. And he was, and you'll appreciate this, Scott, he was the scoutmaster for his son's troop. Oh, nice. And he would always bring, like, the projects that he had to work on. And so between races, he'd be working all the Cub Scout <laughs> projects in that little booth. Oh, man. That's that amazing. Yeah, he's, a, he's a great guy. Great, great guy. story. Great yeah. story. So look for Steve there. There's my first story. So there's my story. <laughs> what are your stories? What's your favorite memory or, or, or person that you've met out of the track? Uh, well, you know, as you know, uh, when we worked together at, at WHAS Radio, and I was a journalist many years ago, I actually got to cover um, a couple of derbies, and so that was always an honor to get a media pass and go around and cover the Kentucky. What do you got there? You showing me something? No. Oh, okay. You were oh, waving your phone around. Oh, right? <laughs> we got it. We got it. We got a chance to cover some derbies, and so. Uh, um, a couple of memories. Number one, my favorite horse of all time is the 1997 Kentucky Derby winner, Silver Charm, who's still alive and lives at Old Friends Farm in, in central Kentucky now. But it was a beautiful horse. It was the first derby I ever covered and attended. And just was a spe- and came within a whisker of winning the Triple Crown. Uh, but I loved uh, Silver Charm. 
And then my favorite uh, memory of covering derbies was, um, you know, if, you, if you've come and you go around uh, Churchill Downs in the neighborhood, you know, people park cars in their lawns and they'll charge, you know, 50 bucks or whatever to put your car there for the day. And so uh, one of my tasks at the radio station was to go come up with local color for stories. So I went across the street and I lived over there. I lived uh, near the track. So I went across the street to my neighbor one year who was parking cars and uh, and I said I said do you mind if we do an interview sure I said well how much money do you do you make parking cars in your front yard you know every oh I make several thousand dollars you know and I said well you report all that income to the IRS <laughs> I hope and I will never forget this as long as I live he said oh Mr Jennings I plead the Second Amendment <laughs> and I said you mean the Fifth Amendment and he just looked at me. <laughs> Pleading so, the Second Amendment sounds a little dangerous. Yeah, the IRS yeah, comes right. knocking so, at your door. So, right. Silver Charm and pleading the Second Amendment are two of my big memories. Jared, yeah. So, I'll say this first. One of the reasons I want us to to do a little Derby segment at the end is because it's one of the like major marquee sporting events that's in flyover country, mm-hmm. right? It, you know, the the eyes of the world or the you know sports world will be on Louisville, Kentucky. This Saturday, which is you know we we all live here, and so it's I think maybe some of that shine wears off, but you know the world is going to look at Kentucky for two minutes, but hopefully the whole day and watch all the the broadcast, which is is really really cool, right? It's it's one of the unique things, right? The Super Bowl was in L.A. this year, and uh, you know there there's things like that that you know a lot of the the major sports teams tend to be on the coasts and those sorts of things. So I think it's a kind of a cool week period for flyover country and. Uh, Kentucky, and you'll see Kentucky Proud Horses and all those sorts of things that, that I think are, are really cool and worth celebrating and, and remembering. Um, so here's now my segue into the, the my less, you know, uh, I have never been to the Derby. I don't know how to segue that a good way. But, but please, I, tell us your favorite memory. <laughs> yeah, so so I, I don't have a favorite memory from being at the Derby. Um, but uh, I'm going to s- sort of stake my flag in the ground here. The singing of My Old Kentucky <laughs> ah, is, yeah. and, and you know, we had talked about some of the best moments, the best things, undeniably the best part of, of the Derby. Um, I Do know- we ha- can we cue it up? I think we should go. I think, I think I will give you five minutes to find it. And then when we're done talking, we'll, we'll play it on the way out because it is yeah. a beautiful okay, moment. Right. Come back around. There Love is, there I'm is, glad you brought that. It's up. very emotional, and certainly it's emotional for the for the the sportsmen, the horsemen who are part of this. Certainly because this is yeah. the the biggest moment of their athletic lives. You know when when that is happening, and that all comes all around the, the tradition. There is absolutely Kevin. So. You know, having grown up in northern Kentucky, we were a little outside of Derby country, and it wasn't as big of a deal up there, but it was always to my family. For 31 years, my dad has hosted a Derby party at our house and invited the whole family over, dozens and dozens of people. Uh, And he, he goes big. This isn't just a picnic. He rents horses for the kids to ride. He's had games he invented a uh, who you wants get to, actual horses he, at your he, house he, he had, a, had a horse come and clop around the the cul-de-sac for the for the kids to ride clop. we should have called him for the sound effect yeah <laughs> he would have had it uh, it, um, he, he was banging he, two coconuts together he, he invented a, a, a game once he wants to be a kentucky colonel uh for a while it, it, it's great i haven't been able to go in a couple of years because i've lived in dc so i'm going this year oh nice uh and it's going to be great 31st uh, people dress up no, not not so much. Mm. Um, Are you going to dress up? I probably will. Tuxedo, bring, bring a little class. Great, good. Um, 
And then my favorite horse is probably American Pharaoh, the 2015 Kentucky uh, Derby yeah. winner. The first triple crown winner of my lifetime mm-hmm. won the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness, and the Belmont. Uh, you, you always remember uh, just a great athlete watching him run. Yeah, so uh, like Kevin, I didn't grow up like it was Derby was not a thing in really that in Owensboro, Kentucky, where I grew up. You watch, you watch the race like for two minutes, and it's like, okay, we move on with our lives. But uh, when I came to Louisville, it was something that I, I – inspired to go to and i can now say i've been to two derbies and uh probably the coolest derby experience i had was in uh, 2021 that i got to go into the paddock there during the derby and or not during some of the other races and got to stand in the center and see all the horses walk around me and my group of friends and that was that was pretty cool to, to be that close and i got to talk with a couple of the jockeys and and a couple of other folks so that was pretty neat i will take this opportunity though to attack the mint and julep <laughs> which I think is 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 one of the most terrible drinks that anyone can ever have. Can you explain what's in it? Uh, a lot of mint and a lot of sugar and then some bourbon and a lot of ice. So I, I usually go, when I do go, I get one mint julep and then pour it out and then just ask for straight bourbon. But ex- explain the significance of the mint julep and the the cup that it comes in. And the history behind that. The cup is cool. The cup is very cool. Yeah. There's a there's a special signature glass um, that they sell the mint julep in uh, every year. They get a new design glass. What are you getting year. a commission on this? It's, it's part of my family's history. You some dad, sort of, you dad, dad, your dad, dad gets buys it? Yeah. derby glasses. Sure. So there's amazing. You know, here I was thinking five years of derby glasses at right. my house now. Here I was thinking you were some sort of mint julep huckster. Uh, What's interesting, though, is that, and I would say in most households, at least in the Louisville metropolitan area, you have five- and six-year-old children drinking. uh, It's in the cabinet, basically. (laughs) Absolutely. The old old derby glasses are all up there. Drinking drinking milk and lemonade and and regular water. What I'm saying is it's part of all of our our cabinetry, you know, is that you have the old derby glasses. Right. And and on the side, you list all the previous derby winners from the previous now previous 147 years now from today. It's a total aside, but I would love to hear what... series glasses were in your all's cabinets growing up because oh yeah because you know back in back in my day you know like mcdonald's would like have right. like souvenir right. glass i mean i drank right. out of a grimace cup for like 18 <laughs> right. years i mean <laughs> pizza hut had looney tunes yeah but see now for me and this is the part where i i won't uh, name drop too much but you know, i covered the derby for close to 25 years i've probably been to 20 derbies and so and i've had access like you did scott when you're a reporter to first of all the back side of the of the track is is just amazing as far as just the it's like hollywood squares come to life you know for some of these celebrities are back there but also the sportsmen but then of course on derby day and on oaks day the day before i mean everywhere from you and i both have memories separately scott of of t- talking and singing with tony bennett yeah. you know there um <laughs> I met George W. Bush on the rooftop of Churchill Downs. Uh, I met Daisy Fuentes once. You know, on the roof up there. Remember, you probably you guys are a little young for Daisy. She was yeah. something else. But I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, Terry Bradshaw. I'm trying to think. About, I mean, there's random people that you just talk to and you see up there. What's really cool about that? Of course, you always see the New England Patriots show up, Jared. I mean, uh, <laughs> I saw J.D. Vance and uh, Dave Pontaroy at a at a. What was the butchery of that name? Yeah, I don't know. You're from Portnoy. Boston. Say it. Portnoy. 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 Anyway, but it's great. But I will tell you, despite all the celebrities and just the pageantry, and it's sort of like it's it's sort of like Easter and the prom and Halloween and the Super Bowl. It's all it's all this. It's because people just dress up yeah. and kind of go over the top. 
And it, it, but it, but it is like it is like going to prom. But then you're attending this event together. It's pretty cool. And, it, and by the way, it happens that way all week because the Derby is the is the second weekend, and so it you know it opens the weekend before, and so you go out for opening night, and people are dre- and every day this week, I was out there today. Pe- people are decked out, man. It's you look crazy. nice, by the way. I like that's work coat. Thank you. Yes, yes. Yeah. I uh, I was out there today and didn't do very well. I was trying. To, I was following our mutual friend Gene McLean's. Handicapping today, and I'm gonna have to talk to Gene about today's yeah. uh, advice. <laughs> but I will say, if ever you have a chance to go to the to the backside of Churchill Downs, so you, you know what you see when you look across the way in the barns. That is the true magic. Oh, it is magical, back and then. just to, and of course you have to get there in the morning during the morning works, and usually the, the pre-dawn hours, yeah. and and you meet the that that is just where just the the. And these animals, yeah. these, these these just incredible thoroughbreds. Yeah, it, it, it is it is just so inspiring. Just their power, and at the same time, just how smart they are. It just it just is a beautiful, beautiful place. Are you all going this year? Are you going? I this am. Year? Oh, you are. So you're you're going to your party. You're going uh, on the track. You're I'm going, going to Oaks. I'm going to, I'm Oaks, going to Oaks. Oaks as well, which is the day before. Oh, are you, you're not going? No, no. He's going to watch it on the TV. Huh? Yeah. That's great. I'm going. I'm, I, I haven't been since 2019 because of the obviously the situation here. But uh, but I've got I've got to go out. Both I've got friends coming in from New York, New York City, and they're going to come in and uh, and one from Buffalo and so show anyway. them a flyover country. Yeah, we're going to show them a little flyover country. Good time. We're going out both days and hopefully we'll we'll have a good time. Yeah, I, Sean just mentioned Oaks. I think Kevin said he was going to people who people who don't know that's the day before. The big race there is where the Phillies run, the, the lady horses run. Um, <laughs> lady horses. <laughs> that's, a, that's a scientific term. Are you a biologist? Uh, ooh, I guess maybe not. Actually, this year they decided there's no such thing as a difference. They're all the same. I, <laughs> we, you're canceled. Gonna, yeah, I was going to say, I, I was about to make a joke. But wow. I'll leave that one on the cutting room floor. It's been nice um, knowing you, Joe. Yeah. But uh, I have been to Oaks. I, I love that everybody wears pink. Yeah. And Joe, you are talking about the kind of costume mm-hmm. nature of that week, and especially the Derby. There's seersucker, and there's weird plaids you couldn't even imagine. But looking out on Oaks Day uh, and seeing all the pink, I think, is, is one of the most beautiful sights, too. The Oaks actually has a drink worth drinking. Right. The Lily, the Lily yes, is not a terrible that drink. Is a better, that is the superior yeah. Churchill Downs drink. Yeah, I agree with that. I had uh, We did pictures of Oaks Lily at my wedding. Really? Yeah. That's, yeah. That's yeah. great. It, you know, it is it is uh, being out there for this this opening part of the spring meet at Churchill Downs. It, it is everywhere you look there's history. The Twin Spires and then you look at the signage and you look at the names of the horses and you think about the crowds that have been there and the famous people that have come through over the years and you get to stand you know, right there, and, and it's the, sort of, the longest continuously running American sporting event, and it's always taken place on that same spot. Do you, do you know what the second one is, by the way? The second place? I don't. Uh, the dog show. Yep. Oh, Mr. Kennel yes. Club dog show. Yeah, that's right. But but just yeah, when just you when you go out to Churchill Downs and and see it all in person, up close, and the people and the pageantry and the horses, there is really nothing like it. And Churchill is just. It's such a magical place, and you described it as being an amalgamation of all those things. And the time of the year, you know, being in springtime, and and just it, it's by design by Colonel Matt Wynn back in the day. I, I actually before him, but they really made it, it that that first Saturday in May. Right, for instance, in my yard right now, the azaleas yeah. today popped. I mean, they know exactly the right time. It is the chamber, and even by the way, in Louisville, there is the Derby. Also, is just a seminal moment in terms of other things that you plan your life around. For instance, 
you don't plant your flowers like for your garden. Houses don't go on the market, generally speaking, as far as that, until after Derby Day. There's there's different things that we kind of our our, our calendars are synced to yeah. the Kentucky Derby. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful place, and and Churchill Downs is a great company, a great local company. They do and what they do for this community. A great community partners. I mean, they mm-hmm. really are, and uh, and what they do for Kentucky's economy, and 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 like you said, what they do, I think to bring people to flyover country and show them an absolutely unforgettable experience that that is it, it is to their credit this is this is this thing is decked out and all in and so take us home jared ah can't wait gotta sing along the sun shines bright and, and by the way when you hear this and you're at the track i mean i might like i'm getting the chills now People will be sobbing at the track because of how emotional this is. It's amazing. While it's being sung, the horses, this is actually the call to the post. This is the horses with the paddock. We're walking past Sean Southern. <laughs> That's right. Through the tunnel underneath the grandstand and onto See, the track. I mean, I mean, people just... The way you feel about your home state at this moment, it's but hard course, to replicate. And many people don't know the words up to this point, but there'll be a point now coming up when we say weep no more and we all join together. Derby. What's your prediction, by the way, before we go on total crowd size this year? What's what, what are we going to set the over under at? One fifty. One fifty is. I would, I would oh, say. Oh, way over. You way think over. Way over? Oh, yeah, you think, yeah. think one sixty? Isn't capacity like one seventy? I. Oh, you can put a lot of people. In. I'd say one seventy five. <laughs> There's. Oh, no, you think that big? Yeah. That'd be a big derby. Man. I think people uh, are pent up. Right. There's a lot of demand. I know. I know who one of those people is going to be. Donald. Jay Trump, the former president of the United States, is coming, according to the news reports, to the Kentucky Derby. You can attend the fundraiser for only $75,000 per ticket. That's about how much it, uh, it cost me to get my seat. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, it's not a cheap ticket. I thought you had present No, it should be a beautiful day. Actually, uh, Oaks Day, a little rainy. I think the sun will pop out in time for the post time on Saturday afternoon. All right. With next that, week, we'll rehash the results. Happy Flyover Country, boys. Thanks. Have a good week. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of Middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast.